Welcome to the CMI Global Podcast. The following message was recorded at the CMI Global Regional Meeting on May 27th and 28th, 2016. If you would like to help support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting cmiglobal.info. We hope this message is a blessing to you. John chapter 8, I want to talk about breaking strongholds with compassion. Number one, I want to give you a couple quotes about some people. Stephen Curtis Chapman says this, as Christians, our compassion is a simple, res- or a simple response to the love of God that has already been shown to us. If we experience the love of God, we can show compassion to anyone. Daryl Goldman said this, true compassion does not only mean feeling another's pain, but also being moved to help relieve it. Henry Beecher Stowe said this, compassion will cure most sins than condemnation. Francis Schaeffer, great apologist, said this, Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. How true that is. Debbie Ford said this, compassion enables you to reach to the heavens and look through the heart of God. Wow. I don't think there's any better example anywhere in scripture of breaking strongholds with compassion than John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8, Jesus is faced with a dilemma and a very difficult time. We all know the scripture, but let's just get the background of it. If you look at verse number 1, Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives to spend some time in prayer. Most likely, just to get away from it all. Coming back down, he faced, and isn't it true, after you spend time in prayer, sometimes you face the biggest difficulties of your life. Satan tries his very best to do us in. We can't be ignorant. We're in a warfare, guys. We fight not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers in high places. Ephesians chapter number 6 tells us that, verse 12. And here we find out in this passage of Scripture, it was early in the morning. He came again to the temple, verse 2 tells us. And all the people were coming to him, and they sat down, and he began to teach them. You know, Jesus taught, you remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught as one having authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. How many know that rubbed them the wrong way? So they put Jesus to the test, and here's the attack of the strongholds. The scribes and the Pharisees come to him, and uh, as they come to them, they were bent on one thing, destroying Jesus. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't think people's out to destroy you, you're really not in the real world. You have to understand, they're watching our lives every day. And they're trying to put us to a test continuously. So, this assault that came against him was out to destroy Jesus. Here's what happened. Verse number 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman. Brought this woman to him. And the reason they brought this woman was to really test Jesus of what he was going to do. Interesting passage of scripture. Verse 6, and they said this, testing him. So what, this is verse number six, what would you do, or what would they might have grounds to, accuse, or grounds to accuse him? They wanted to get him in a trap. 
You ever had somebody come to you and want to put you in a trap? They start out by saying a nice little compliment to you, and then all of a sudden, They want to get you in a trap so that you will say something that uh, will get them to be able to have ammunition against you. The accusation is very clear. It's adultery. John chapter 8 verse 3 says, The scribes and Pharisee brought this woman who was caught in adultery. And not just stating that it was adultery, but saying in the very act. I don't know about you. I don't know too many people do adultery and they do it openly and publicly or to be seen by people. Most of the time, they try to hide as best as possible. My opinion, it was a set-up deal. And do you don't think people try to set up deals? You're fooling yourself. They set up this time to catch put Jesus to the test. They caught him in the very act. According to the Old Testament law, and this is what's interesting, according to the law, and that's what they wanted to know about because the scribes were the teachers of the Old Testament law. We know that. They were the lawyers of the day, but they used the word of God. And they're trying to use it to their advantage. In Leviticus chapter number 20, verse 10 says, if there was a man who committed adultery with another man's wife, the one who committed adultery with his friend's wife and the adulterer and the adulteress would surely be put to death. Isn't it surprising they didn't bring the man with them? Ten to one, my opinion again, it was one of their buddies. No man's found here anywhere. But they got the woman. And it didn't stop there because we find out in Deuteronomy chapter number 22, verses 22 through 24, the law went on to say, if a man was found lying with a married woman, both of them would surely die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, and you would purge the evil from Israel. Verse 23, and if there was a girl who was a virgin engaged to a man and another man finds her in the city, and lies with her. You shall bring both of them out of the gate of the city, and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, and thus you shall purge the evil from among you. That was the whole case of the scribes and the Pharisees. This woman is the one that needs to be purged from our midst. So they trap Jesus in the question. The question they have for Jesus, real simple. What do you say? Verse 5 tells us that. Now in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? I say to you again. They didn't bring the man up in this, and they knew it. And guess what? The word knew it too, Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't even answer the question that he didn't even propose the question, where's the man at? Because that wasn't the pertinent, the pertinent question to put to him at that time. Sometimes when people ask you questions, you're better off not to answer. So the dilemma here, Jesus is in a, a real dilemma. If Jesus said stoner, 
it would show that his compassion for people would be questioned. But that was the obvious answer. Stone her. Get her out of the midst. The law said we should stone her. And then second of all, if Jesus would place in himself in jeopardy with the Romans because if he said stoner, the Romans were, the Roman government could only exercise capital punishment. So he was between a rock and a hard place here. He had, he had found himself in a position, no matter what he says on this answer or his answer was going to bring condemnation upon Oh, can you just imagine what was going through the hearts and the minds of the scribes and Pharisees? We got you this time, teacher. So between this hark and the rock place, Jesus didn't allow himself to get caught up in it. Jesus found himself, if he didn't say stoner, he would be accused of not supporting the law of Moses and alienated himself from the Jews. And last time I checked, Jesus was a Jew, by the way. He obeyed the Old Testament law, kept the Old Testament law. Jesus facing that in this hard, rock and hard place, we got to remember this important reminder about breaking strongholds. Your response to a stronghold will either cause you to break the stronghold or to be trapped by the stronghold. How you respond to things. I don't know about you, but I have to watch myself. Remember the advice from the Apostle Paul, study to be quiet. James 1.19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. How many know we get those things mixed up? We get quick to speak and anger comes rolling out and we don't want to hear anything. While a person's even talking, we're already thinking, how are we going to respond to this situation? We don't see that anywhere, Jesus, here. So facing this stronghold and facing what was going on, Jesus stands firm, refusing to compromise. Remember what the scribes and Pharisees wanted to do to get Jesus to make an oral response that would really get him to be placed in a position that he would not support the law of God. And they would say, he doesn't support the law. That was the whole point of this thing. Jesus, if he orally respond to it, he would find himself in trouble. So they press him. Verse 5, he says, And now the law of Moses command us to stone the woman. What do you say? And they were saying this to test him. They might have grounds for accusing him. We got to be very careful how we respond to people. Because even if we respond rightly, people will twist it and say what they want you to hear. You ever say something and they put a little twist to it all? Got to be careful how we talk. So what's Jesus do? Well, he takes the first action. Jesus didn't say a word verbally. Didn't say a word. He didn't respond to him one thing. We all know what he did. Verse 6 says Jesus stooped down, and he 
really, with his finger rode into the ground. The truth of the matter is, it's still mystery what Jesus wrote. There's a lot of opinions of what Jesus wrote on that dirt, but in that ground, but we don't have any idea what he wrote. But what he did write had an effect on people. And whatever Jesus wrote on that ground incited the scribes and Pharisees, not verbally, but by their reaction. One of the times when I pastored at a church called Paris Island Assembly of God, the rock that wore out many good hammers, one night they were fighting with me. Sometimes we had board meetings. I used to say to pastor, give me a beating with a rod. I'd rather have that and go to a board meeting. Sometimes it lasted five hours. One night, they were going to cut my salary. I got $125 a week in 1982. I mean, you know, you get real rich on that. Didn't have casinos back then where I could come and try to make some more money. Snake eyes, snake eyes. And they started talking, and this one guy looked at me, and he said, I work two jobs, you should work two. And I wasn't beyond working. Hey, I grew up on a farm. I know what work was all about. And I said, well, Tom, where do you work at? He says, well, I work for the city of Elwood City, and I'm also a church janitor. And I said, where are you a church janitor? Oh, I'm Northminster Presbyterian Church. I served as secretary of the ministerium, and one day, if you know anything about Presbyterians, they love to print bulletins and dossiers and annual budgets, and they gave me one. He kept, this pastor kept insisting I take one of these things. Finally, I took it, and I took it back to my desk, opened up the drawer, and stuck it in my desk. Never thought that I'd ever look at it again. But that night, when they asked me the question, I said, well, Tom, and I opened up the desk drawer as I was speaking, I said, Tom, tell me, by the way, how much do you make there being the janitor? Oh, he says, not very much money because my wife is the assistant janitor. Oh, really? I said, tell me what you make. He says, oh, about 75, and my wife makes 50. And at that time, I just pick up the annual report, and I show it to all of them. I said, Tom, this is a certified report from the very church that you said you're the janitor of. You all saw his mouth drop open then. And I said, by the way, you make more money than I do, or you, you being the janitor, than I do pastoring this church. I said, Tom, we shouldn't talk about cutting my salary. We should talk about you paying your tithes. <laughs> How many know that incited a little bit there? He jumped up, had a few explorative's that described my life, and I wouldn't want to repeat them to you right here. And he called me an SOB, and he came across and going to grab me around the neck. Well, I wasn't stupid. I was born at night, but not last night. I stood up. I looked him in the eye. I said, go ahead and hit me. You've been wanting to do it for two years anyhow. And they all came up and dragged him off, and they said, oh, we got you now, Pastor. You caused Tom to swear. You incited him to get him to swear at you. I didn't jump over a desk, by the way. <laughs> they got incited, and their reaction was they kept talking to him. 
And they persisted. Look what it says in verse 7. They persisted in asking him a question. Kept saying, what do you say? What do you say? Give us an answer. Jesus' action to the self-righteous, self-appointed judge and jury is simply this. First one is this. Jesus stands up and speaks directly to him. We all know what he said. He who has, is without sin among you, let him first to cast a stone at her. If that isn't compassion, I don't know what is. But he put it right back on their backs. You know, most people who lash out at us lash out because there's something wrong in their lives. And they want to tear you down so that they look good. Second response is this. Jesus stoops back down again and continues writing on the ground. Verse 8 tells us that. The reaction to what Jesus did and writing those things on the ground again brought conviction upon their heart because verse number 9 says, and when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. How many know the older we are, the more we know about sin? And how many know we've missed the mark a few times? If we wouldn't, we'd be like Enoch. We'd just be translated into glory. They walked out from the oldest ones to the youngest ones. The end result is real clear here. Jesus broke that stronghold. He broke it. He had it broken because of compassion. And when, verse number 8 chapter 8 verse 9 and when they heard it they began to go out one by one beginning with the older ones and he was left with the woman where she was in the center of the court put a kuhus to the whole thing remember these words compassion always leads to action if you don't have compassion you won't do anything Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus going to villages and towns. And he saw the people, and he saw them with the eyes of compassion, sheep without a shepherd. Compassion breaks down strongholds. This is a living example of it. And the importance of compassion is this. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So then those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on. A heart of compassion. You know what that tells me? If you don't have a heart of compassion, you can get a heart of compassion. You can put it on. Just like you put your clothes on today. We could have came naked, Harold. But we didn't. We put some clothes on. Last words, and I'll get out of here, okay? And you can ask some questions. Since everybody's been quoting our bishop, these are the words I've never forgot about him. If you're going to fail, fail on the side of grace. He lived it. He stood behind it. And he made it very clear. Most of you didn't know the bishop, but one of the things, he grew up in the Assemblies of God, and they ousted him. Many years later, they wanted to come back in the Assemblies of God, and he said, we'll come back on some conditions. Number one, the church, Calvary Temple, is not coming in. Number two, I'm coming back. But here's the second thing. Any man in my fellowship who was Assemblies of God or wants to join the Assemblies of God is allowed to come too. 
they had to swallow hard on that because Dr. Pano had a whole lot of pastors that used to be in the Assembly of God. I wasn't the only one. And he says, if you take me, you got to take my man because he was a man of grace. You'll never fail if you fall on the side of grace. Amen.